And over 50% of our colleagues say they like to work at least part-time at home. And so if we're thinking about a hybrid workforce, what are the implications to that? Maybe for an all-hands meeting or an all-team meeting, we need everybody in the office because that's when we want everybody to be together. Or maybe two days a week when a team needs to come in. But three days a week, you can work wherever you want, whether that's in the office or at home. So we're just working through that right now. But it's providing the flexibility while at the same time maintaining our culture and creativity that's needed is the balance that we're striving to accomplish. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkus, lead editor of thought leadership at TopTal. My guest today is Kristen Johnson, the Chief Human Resources Officer of Edward Jones, the Fortune 500 financial services firm headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks for being here, Kristen. Thank you, Meredith. Glad to be here. So you have been at Edward Jones for more than 25 years, but you only recently moved into the people human resources space. Can you tell us a little bit about your path from accounting to leading almost 50,000 people? Yes, absolutely. It's been quite a journey. As you said, I've been at Edward Jones for 25 years and have had great opportunity to move around the organization. I started an internal audit with bringing my accounting background to Edward Jones, which is a great place to start at Edward Jones because internal audit was a place I got to learn a lot about the business in a short period of time and moved into the operations, the processing side of our business for about 12 years and grew my responsibilities there really fell in love leading people during that time as well as part of my responsibilities, and then moved to our branch side of the organization, not being a financial advisor, but moving into a role where I was leading our branch office administrators, our branch assistants, which are in all of our branch locations. And that was a great opportunity to think differently, reimagine how that role could continue to positively contribute to our client experience. And then our chief human resource officer left in March of 2019 and Penny Pennington, our managing partner, asked if I would come over and co-lead the division for a period of time while we searched for a new chief human resource officer. So I did that as an interim leadership role and really fell in love again with the work and recognizing how much aligned with my purpose and really helping grow confidence in others. Not having an HR background, I was also responsible for the search for the CHRO, working with the search firm. And I looked at the profile for the job and I thought to myself, which I've I've never done, I think I want to do this. I think I want to throw my hat in the ring. And prior to that time, like I said, I've moved around a lot at Upper Jones, always being asked, we move to this opportunity. We'd like you to, to help us in this area. And so I mentioned to Penny that I was interested in the role and she took it into consideration. And then I didn't hear anything for three months. And we got down to a final three candidates with the search firm. 
and I was asked to enter the process. So after 24 years at Edward Jones, I put together my resume. I interviewed, went through assessment, and was grateful to have the opportunity to officially move into Roland. November 2019. So it was a a great moment for me personally in terms of raising my hand for something that I wanted to do and then just really loving the opportunity and and contributing to the role now. Well, that takes guts and I'm so glad it worked out because it also takes, (laughs) it takes smarts and your company is better for it for having you in that position. You started in a very left-brained area, accounting and auditing, but you have this wonderful creative side too. You serve on the boards of several nonprofits that bring art to St. Louis, and I've read that you were a serious ballet dancer throughout high school, and you recently participated in Dancing with the St. Louis Stars. So I would love to know what role, if any, does creativity play in human resources? Yeah, it's definitely a left brain, right brain, as you said. I grew up dancing seriously ballet. In fact, when I was a senior in high school, I was considering going to New York and dancing professional, trying to audition for a ballet company. And my dad, I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force for 27 years, very disciplined upbringing. And he said, Kristen, you're good in math. You should go to college and become an accountant. So <laughs> that's what I did. Like you're describing, the creativity is part of my background and part of something that I think helps in the professional life I have now, especially now in human resources, people, people are complex, right? We all have our unique background and and perspective. And so always trying to work with people to say, okay, how do, how can I help them? How can we figure out what they need to accomplish the goal that they have? And that takes creativity at times. And so being able to explore different options and, and have that mindset's been really important. And then try, and, you know, certainly sharing that with the team that I lead. It's funny that your dad was pushing you toward accounting because he wanted you to be regimented, but ballet is very regimented. Are there any lessons from ballet that you apply to your role as the chief human resources officer? Definitely that there is rigor to ballet. There's a lot of discipline. And I think those skills that I gained in ballet, being very disciplined and organized, has been helpful in the professional life that, that I have now in HR and the other contributions I've had at Edward Jones. I find that I'm much more focused in what I do, I think, from what my background growing up with ballet and knowing that there is a method that you need to follow to get to a better outcome. And so I, I try to apply that every day. So beyond ballet, beyond even your role as CHRO, you are also Edward Jones' chief transformation officer, currently leading a major people and client-focused transformation. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So when Penny Pennington became our managing partner in 2019, she really set our ambition even higher to have a purpose. You know, we've been very mission-driven around our clients and always put their best interests first. But thinking about our purpose, partnering for positive impact to help our clients and our colleagues have a life of success and significance and and better our communities and the society at large as a result. And so with that purpose, we knew that we had to elevate the ambition that we had for the organization in terms of the value that we provide to our clients. And we've defined that as human-centered complete wealth management. 
given that our really competitive advantage at Edward Jones is the, the deep trusted personal relationship that our financial advisors and our branch teams build with our clients. And it is human-centered, and that human connection is, is so, so important. It's more enabled by technology these days based on what clients need, but the human is at the forefront of that. And so given that ambition, we recognized that there were other parts of our organization that needed to transform to be able to fulfill that, including how we operate, how we're organized to support and enhance value creation, like I said, the technology skills that our financial advisors and our branch teams need to continue to deliver that value. And then our culture, we have a very strong culture we we have for nearly 100 years, all really anchored on a spirit of caring for our clients and, and one another. But we knew that there were mindsets and behaviors within our culture that based on that shift and and business strategy to move to human center and complete wealth management that needs need to shift to enable that as well. So it's a wholesome transformation from our what we provide to our clients to how we operate in the home office, how we organize ourselves to deliver that, and then how we work together in a culture and partnership way to support that. So it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a lot of work, but it's 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 also positioning the organization. We've had great success for nearly 100 years. We'll be 100 in 2022. And so positioning the organization to be successful for 100 more, if not, if not more than that, is really fun and exciting work we get to do. It is exciting, but there must be some challenges that you're coming up against, especially with COVID in the background, especially with technology changing as rapidly as it is. Can you tell me about what sorts of challenges you've confronted throughout this process? Yeah, I think the challenge, you know, you start just the base of transformation as you're going into the unknown. And with unknown comes uncertainty. You then layer on all of us in a remote working environment and not seeing each other on a daily basis. So that has been a challenge to continue to find the means where we can, you know, effectively communicate and connect on what we do know. And that we're focused on continuous learning for everybody to be on the journey with us, all 49,000 of our colleagues. And so just continuing to find those means of how we continue to communicate and connect with one another and then offer those opportunities for continuous learning as we go on the journey together has been our primary challenges. And I know that Edward Jones has won awards for your training and development programs. I love to hear when companies are focusing on training and developing their own employees so they don't have to go elsewhere to get that training and development. Can you tell me more about the history of your training and development program and why you think it's award-winning? When I came to Edward Jones in 1995, one of our core values at the time was around our training. And and the, the distinction is that we make an investment in our people and specifically our financial advisors, which is very different than our competitors. And we even look look at training not as a an expense, but as, as an investment and an asset to what we do. And so that's that has been the case for forever in terms of our new financial advisors go through 17 weeks of training and development before they're working with clients, creating clients and serving clients. So very different than our competitors in terms of the investment that we make in in our financial advisors and then even in the home office with our colleagues so that they can support 
our financial advisors in an effective way. So I think it's that lens of an investment versus an expense that is also a big part of, I think, why we've been recognized for that at the, at the core. And each year we're providing different offerings and really encouraging our leaders to ensure that our associates are taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. And like I said, one of our five cultural attributes that we're really focused on is continuous learning and that being an expectation for each of us in terms of what we do. So it's really ingrained in everything that we do. And I think, therefore, that's why we're we're recognized for it. What role would you say that continuous learning plays in attracting and retaining top talent? We really focus on having our associates in the driver's seat of their career journey and having them feel empowered in what that looks like. I'm a, I'm a byproduct, I would say, or a benefactor of that. When I came to Edward Jones, my leader said, Kristen, if you work hard and perform well, opportunities will present themselves. That's what you need to focus on. And that's been true to this day. And that's what I, I certainly strive for all of our associates to have. And so really want to equip our associates to be in the driver's seat and top talent, of course, that are very highly motivated. They want to learn at a rapid pace and they want to be able to grow their impact on the organization. And we need to provide the opportunities for them to do just that. So that's what we're focused on in that space. If you could offer one tip to companies who are seeking to improve their own training, what would it be? It's to focus on how your training is benefiting your people, your talent, and having them realize their potential. So if the training is focused on the bottom line, I think it's a limiter. And like I said, how is it an investment in optimizing and and realizing the potential of your talent? which in my mind is the biggest asset that we have at the organization. So it's an investment, not an expense. And that would be my, my tip for other companies. You haven't only won awards for your training program. You have made lists such as best workplace for parents, best workplaces for women, best place to work for LGBTQ equality, best workplaces for millennials, most admired companies, and number one in customer experience for investment firms. That's amazing. That is a long list of awards. What would you say as the leader of people that you're doing so right to get on so many of these lists? Yeah, so I think it it does come back to our core values that are very human-centered. And with COVID, when COVID happened, our executive committee got together. And so we need to put a guiding principles in place for what's going to guide our decision-making. And certainly our core value, you know, clients' best interests come first. We work in partnership. We respect the individual. And, but we said our number one guiding principle is that we need to take care of our clients and our associates and their well-being. And that drove, drove all the decisions that we have made and continue to make to our response and then how we, how we operate post pandemic. And so I think that that serves us well. I think that's who we are. So we appreciate the recognition and certainly the accolades for that, but it's, it's really those guiding principles based on our core values and then our purpose that I think generates that. And having all those accolades, they're not just nice to have. They're really important for attracting top talent. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And if there are other benefits to getting on these lists, I'd be so curious to know those as well. Yeah, so we've been on Fortune's Best Place for Work for 21 years, which is amazing. And it is a 
it, it certainly is a great attraction. And I, I get pinged quite a bit from talent and now on LinkedIn that want to come to Edward Jones. And that makes me so, so happy. And it allows us to broaden and deepen our talent pool and, and colleagues at Edward Jones. Another key benefit that I've received personally and then shared with other colleagues is just the connections we make with other companies that are recognized as best place to work. And I participate in different sessions with other CHROs and, and other colleagues where what I found too is there's not a lot of proprietary information in the people space. <laughs> people are very open in terms of Let's help one another in terms of our talent. And that has been great just to connect with other companies that are being recognized and Great Places to Work does a great job of bringing us together in doing that. And I've learned a lot through that process. Now, I want to switch gears and talk about the fact that financial advising remains a male-dominated industry. But at Edward Jones, your managing partner is Penny Pennington, another woman. And obviously, you are a woman, too. What does it mean to have more than one woman in the C-suite at an organization that is in an industry that is male-dominated? Yeah, so as an industry and as Edward Jones, we certainly continue to, to prioritize inclusiveness. It, it's certainly been wonderful to have Penny as a managing partner and certainly you know, having more female professional colleagues with more responsibility at, at Edward Jones. We have about 22% of our financial advisors now are female. 57% of our home office associates are female. So when it gets to senior levels of leadership, we have more work to do. About 30% of our general partners, which were a private partnership, are female. So knowing what gender parity looks like, we have opportunities certainly to, to continue to grow there. But Certainly very passionate about opening up, empowering women to continue to grow their impact at Ever Jones. And we're seeing good progress in that area. I think that if you hear the phrase, if you see it, you can become it. So the optics of having more senior women in the organization, including Penny as our managing partner, is, is important. And we need other diversity as well, which we're, we're focused on with our people of color representation goals as well. So it's been really exciting. I, I would say on the, you know, on the female side as well, we've seen some stories about certainly how COVID-19 has disproportionately affected women. And many have left jobs to take care of children or take care of other family situations. And so we're really in that space, really focused on how do we give as much flexibility as needed um, not just to women, but to our male colleagues as well. Uh, we gave 10 additional personal days during COVID, and we still are offering those this year for situations that, that people need, whether themselves or others. So I, I continue to say, I don't want somebody to have to make a career choice because of COVID. Let's talk more about COVID. I'm curious, did that have any effect on your training and development programs? You know, it did in terms of we stopped the in-person training and in-person classes. We were able to leverage technology that we already had in place and continue to do like, like Zoom, where we're doing that online. And that's gone really, really well. Actually, some of our surveys that we do after have been more positive in some areas. And, you know, we do have to do it slightly differently, take breaks, can't do the, you know, the eight hour class that we <laughs> maybe did before, but we break it up and it's allowed for certain, you know, to connect in different ways, but it, it, we really haven't skipped a beat in that space. 
really leveraging technology that we had and using it a bit differently so that we can still deliver the best experience. That's so interesting that the surveys were actually more positive for during the remote training than in-person training. I'd love to understand why you think that is. I've asked that question and some of the feedback that I've got is that there was more checking in during the experience and more connection that was happening versus sitting in a class, like sitting in a classroom, but sitting in a conference room or sitting and, you know, you're just listening, listening, listening. Maybe you weren't called on or maybe you weren't engaged in the conversation, but there was more intentionality, I think, of you're on the Zoom screen. Let's get everybody involved in the conversation. And I think that connection and engagement drove a better experience. That is such a good piece of advice to build in interactivity and be intentional about increasing engagement during these training sessions. So thank you for sharing that. I'm also curious about whether COVID impacted how you implement the transformation plan. Did you have to change what you thought you were going to be doing? It was interesting when when COVID, you know, when it first escalated in early March and a matter of a week, we had 99% of our home office working from home. We had closed our branches for public access. As a new CHRO, <laughs> trying to figure, you know, going through a pandemic. And also Penny had asked me and just in, in January to also take on the role of leading our transformation. And we had done started to do some work in terms of how are we going to segment our business differently so that we can enhance the value that we provide and, and help with unique client needs. We've had really one good way we've served clients and we need to move to many good ways that we serve them. And so we were kind of poised to do more of that segmentation work and then COVID happened. And I remember the end of March, Penny saying, well, we need to get back to our conversations about transformation and get get some more meetings scheduled. And I remember thinking, what? <laughs> you know, how, there's no way we can, we could do that. I, or is our head above water? And I'm just so glad that she did. That's the leader that she is. Right. And she knew that if we got too mired in, in just responding to the pandemic, not looking up and looking out that we were going to miss an opportunity to really even leverage the work that we were doing to respond to the pandemic move the firm forward as we fulfill our purpose. So the other silver lining was that typically in the summer, our senior leadership team is engaged in regional meetings around the country with our financial advisors and branch teams and, and different events. And so it's hard to get the leadership team together because we're all traveling quite a bit. Well, there was no travel happening. <laughs> so the team could spend more time on some of the good thought work we needed to do on the transformation. And so long story short, it actually accelerated progress that we thought we would make in 2020 in certain ways because of the pandemic. It might be too soon to predict this, but do you think that because you saw such acceleration in carrying out those plans because you all didn't have to organize travel plans that you might do these kinds of meetings virtually in the future? Yeah, and we and we have been. And so it'll be interesting when we can do them in person, if we'll do all of them in person, we'll do hybrid, but we've really done our, our recognition conferences. We did our annual partners meeting here in January, all on Zoom. 
And again, the surveys have been better than the in-person meetings and events. And just the creativity and the experience that we've had. And again, it's been the connection that individuals have been able to make online that or just haven't been made in the prior events. So I can see us doing more of a hybrid format moving forward because of what we've learned and the creativity that's come from this past year. Can you give us an example of some of the creativity that has come out of these virtual get-togethers? So we have 587 partners. So we've wanted to, in our meetings, to be able to do breakouts. But the logistics of getting moving 587 people into conference rooms for 45 minutes and then getting them to move to another, you know, is daunting and we just never could pull it off. And so we formed these cohorts of 10 to 12 partners. And during the meeting, we would be able to have a conversation or have a keynote speaker. And then we'd be able to go into our virtual breakout very quickly, have dialogue, talk about what we just heard be able to process that in the moment and talk about what we were going to do differently or takeaways that we had. And that was just a better experience. And we were learning from one another at the same time. So the pandemic has also really sharpened HR's focus on employee wellness. Tell me about some of the wellness programs at Edward Jones and what direct benefits you've seen from those programs already. We definitely have expanded on our wellness programs. We have an internal site called Investing in You, and it's organized around nutritional health, emotional health, physical health, financial health, and even your professional health when it comes to mentoring. And, and so that's we've expanded programs across all of those dimensions. And, and wellness, we had started to ramp up our wellness initiatives about three years ago. And we partner, we have Virgin Pulse as a partner of ours, an, an app that our, our colleagues can use and there's, there's challenges they can use. And we started introducing discounts to our benefits premiums based on the wellness programs that you participate in. So we had laid that groundwork and we'd had some good, good progress already, but we really expanded those programs, you know, especially like on the physical health side. So a desk workout that you can do in seven minutes and especially on the mental health side. And that's an area that we continue to bolster. It's very much been an accelerated need during the pandemic. And I think that'll be ongoing. So where our employee assistance program, we would provide five free visits a year. We expanded that to eight, and we're going to continue to keep that at eight ongoing. We're finding there's just so many. I mean, every person has been impacted by COVID in some way, whether that's directly or indirectly. And we just want to take care of the full individual at Edward Jones and give them the resources that they need. So expanding that employee assistance, we have mindfulness programs, and just a host of resources to take care of the full individual. I'm sure whatever employee surveys you've been sending out about this are also showing lots of satisfaction on that front. So besides wellness, which exploded over the course of the pandemic, or rather the focus on wellness exploded over the course of the pandemic, what other people and workplace trends do you see on the horizon? What should HR executives prepare for now? Yeah, so we're really focused on what that workforce is going to look like post-pandemic. And we had 20% of our workforce working from home prior to COVID. As we do associate preference surveys to ask, what are you thinking about? Now that we've proven we can do pretty much every job remotely, what are you thinking about your preference post-pandemic when it's safe to return to the workplace? 
And over 50% of our colleagues say they like to work at least part-time at home. And so if we're thinking about a hybrid workforce, what are the implications to that? And what do we need to take into consideration from a creativity and a culture perspective? And so that's what we're working through right now. Don't have all the answers, but trying to, and again, it's another opportunity where talking to companies like LinkedIn and others that are doing the same thing around maybe for an all hands meeting or all team meeting, we need everybody in the office because that's when we want everybody to be together. But, or maybe two days a week when a team meets, they need to come in, but three days a week, you can work wherever you want, whether that's in the office or at home. So we're just working through that right now, but it's providing the flexibility while at the same time, maintaining our culture and creativity that's needed is the the balance that we're striving to accomplish. Well, I wish you the best of luck in striking that balance. I know that the hybrid workplace is a puzzle to figure out because most companies have not done that before, but I'm really glad to hear that it is a path that you are going down because your people want it. So Kristen, thank you so much for your time today. It was great talking with you and we wish you and Edward Jones the best of luck. Well, thank you, Meredith. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.